Today's special episode of Socially Democratic is presented to you by Dunn Street. Dunn Street partners with businesses, organisations, unions and social democratic parties across Australia and the globe to train leaders, develop engagement strategies and empower people to organise for change. Even though 2020 has presented us with a couple of challenges, Dunn Street will continue to work with folks that want to make a difference, inspire, give hope and enable leadership to achieve their shared purpose. To find out ways in which you can partner with Dunn Street, hit us up at dunnstreet.com.au. Hello and welcome to another episode of Socially Democratic, your weekly centre-left political and cultural podcast that dives into the progressive issues of the day and the people leading them from home and abroad. And on this week's episode, this week's special episode, I wanted to talk about Black Lives Matters and how it means to our first Australians. Um, But instead of me doing that, and interviewing someone as I normally do, it was suggested to me by someone far smarter than I am that I should hand over the socially democratic microphones to two Koori people to talk about Aboriginal affairs, which is a great idea. So that's what we're doing today. On today's episode, we're going to be hearing from two inspiring Aboriginal Victorian leaders, Uncle Mukai and Laura Thompson. Uncle Mukai is a Gundijamara man who has lived most of his life on country and brings 30 years of working in Aboriginal affairs, including working for the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service. He was a convener of the uh, War Dungan Criminal Records Discrimination Project and the CEO of the Windermara Aboriginal Cooperation and was recently elected to the First People's Assembly here in Victoria uh, in October last year for his region down in the southwest. And joining Uncle Mukai is Laura Thompson. Laura is a Gunditjmara woman who grew up in Collingwood and is an artist living and working here in Nam and runs three businesses, Spark Health, which is dedicated to adding years to Aboriginal people's lives, and the Koori Circle, which creates contemporary Aboriginal designed and inspired jewellery. She also, while she's not doing those three things, uh, two things, uh, runs Clothing the Gap, not Closing the Gap, but Clothing CL. O-T-H-I-N-G, Clothing the Gap, an Aboriginal-owned and led social enterprise dedicated to uniting Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal people through fashion and causes. And she'll talk a little bit about that because there's actually some amazing things that is going on in that space, which uh, I think is actually kind of outrageous. Uh, But I'll let uh, Laura and Uncle Mukai talk more about that and a whole bunch of other things that are impacting um, Aboriginal uh, Victorians and Indigenous Australians uh, across our huge continent. Um, and they will mention a whole bunch of things in which w- ways in which non-Indigenous allies can stand with um, our First Nations peoples. And there'll be a whole bunch of links that they'll talk about. I'll post those links in the bio for the podcast, for today's podcast, as well as on all of our social media, um, uh, Dunn Street social media platforms. Uh, so uh, check them out and find out ways in which you can support um, some of these great campaigns. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Stitcher. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and a review. And for all the updates about Socially Democratic, just follow us at the Dunn Street Socials on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. So let's get to today's episode. Hi. I'm Michael Bell, uh, Uncle Mukai, down from uh, Gunditjmara country in southwest Victoria, and uh, here on the Social Democratic podcast, uh, having a conversation with uh, Delhi lady from uh, 
Melbourne there and country woman, uh, Laura Thompson. So, hello, Laura. Hi, Uncle Mukai. Um, lovely to chat. Um, I'm also a Gundijamara woman and um, who's sort of born and raised on Wurundjeri country, Melbourne. Yeah, and uh, us mobs stay together, don't we? <laughs> Pretty thick out there in the world, the Gundijamara mob. So, uh, we're, we're, as we say, uh, we're too deadly. Um, yeah, just a bit of history, a little bit around Gunnishmara. It's uh, obviously out in southwest Victoria, um, out near Portland, Hamilton, Warrnambool, Port Ferry um, country. We've got uh, Budge Bim, they uh, used to be known as uh, Mount Eccles out that way, which created a, a significant lava flow that created um, a lot of our cultural and history with our stone houses, uh, stone fish traps, the agriculture system. And um, just recently, in I think it was August last year, 2019, um, uh, parts of that country known as Budge Bim uh, Landscape, Cultural Heritage Landscape, was uh, inscribed by the UNESCO as a World Heritage Site. So um, on, based on the values that, that Gunditjmara people have uh, continually lived on that country, and that country has provided for the uh, Gunditjmara people for thousands of uh, years. So... Um, yeah, so it's a, quite a significant place. Uh, if people out there, yeah, look it up. Um, Budge Bim is its time, B-U-D-J-B-I-M, and uh, you'll get a lot of uh, uh, contacts or links uh, about the country out there. Um, mm. Yeah, and, yeah, so quite significant. Um, I've grown up in Hayward, which is part, uh, down here on country, uh, born and bred, and... Um, yeah, got to move to the Shepparton in the uh, early 80s and got to do an apprenticeship in carpentry and uh, hook up with the Yorta Yorta mob around that part of the world. And uh, so that was a great experience and um, then moved back home with my family, uh, my wife, Sandra, who's a Yorta Yorta lady. And uh, we've got two sons, Billy and Miko, and a little grandson, uh, Archie, and Billy's partner, Lisa, who has two boys. Uh, so house is pretty full in our part of the world. Um I'm a, my family's got nine in it. Laura, how many in your family? I've got three big sisters, so I'm the baby, believe it or not. <laughs> and then just too many cousins and nieces and nephews to count now. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we're just having a conversation. Really appreciate the opportunity uh, from um, the podcast, uh, Stephen, um, there to uh, provide us the opportunity to have a conversation around Black Lives Matter, um, which is really, really important to us all. We've, uh, well, both of us, I should say, um, heavily connected to our community groups. And uh, I suppose, Laura, a few conversations around, um, you know, I suppose just growing up in Melbourne and how, it, you know, uh, with those historic um, Aboriginal community control organisations that uh, actually led the way for many of us out here in uh, regional Victoria. Yeah. So um, I started working um, in Aboriginal community-controlled organisations, probably spent about 25 years working in the spaces. Um, I'm a public health practitioner. Um, uh, I love health promotion. It's my thing. But sort of since moving, I've moved, found myself moving out of um, Aboriginal co-ops and now I own um, some businesses. So I'm founding and managing director of Clothing the Gap and uh, Spark Health and we're just about to launch a new not-for-profit called Weller and um, and strangely enough it feels so ridiculous talking about all these enterprises that I'm managing now but um, another little earring business called the Koori Circle so certainly um, it's exciting times I think um, for community sort of moving in and through and around co-ops but then 
um, strangely like myself, finding myself in a world of um, Aboriginal business, which has been really cool. Oh, great point. I mean, uh, I'm 56 now, Laura, and uh, I know you're not that much younger than me, but uh, you've got a little <laughs> few years there. Uh, but, um, yeah, the, the Aboriginal community control uh, sector, as we know it, or from the old, uh, you know, not, well, not that long ago, um, you know, Aboriginal membership, uh, vote for Aboriginal leaders in their organisation, um, and, uh, you know, the Aboriginal Advancement League down in Melbourne, uh, back at the Aboriginal Children's uh, uh, children's services and um, yeah, uh, significant and Dacho, the Victorian Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Organisation, uh, is quite significant in what they do. And, um, and then uh, I've just done ten years as a, as a CEO of the Windermara Aboriginal Corporation in Hayward. And uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely um, where you know the old school of um, community control. And now we're seeing, you know, uh, I know being, a, you know, someone who's been involved in for a good 30-odd years that we want our younger generations to uh, take hold and uh, and be innovative and uh, and create opportunities for themselves and their community. And uh, this is what uh, you're, you're getting into, mate, and it's, uh, it's really, really good to see because I think that is, you know, we talk about um, self-determination and... Uh, you know, you guys being quite brave and stepping into that world is uh, is is quite yeah unique and um, pretty impressive to watch from the side at the moment. Thank you, and I guess you know, just touching on um, my Annie Elma Thorpe, who was um, I guess like one of the linchpins in helping set up these organisations. Look, I touch base with her when um, I just started the businesses and told her about it, and she said, "Laura, I don't care what you do. I just want to know what's your philosophy." And I think for anyone who's in whatever spaces or um, entities or organisation to find yourself in being true to what the cause is, and um, ours is certainly to add years to people's lives. Um, and with the clothing brand, Clothing the Gap that we're running, um, I remind myself daily almost what the purpose of that brand is, and that is to unite people through fashion and a cause. And often you can get, you can get um, let off the road, but reminding ourselves that, this cause part of what we talk that we stand for, it's yes, we're selling clothes, but we're using it as a platform for activism. So um, reminding ourselves if we're thinking about, you know, is this a cute top or does this top stand for something? Um, and remembering that we are, you know, a brand that stands up for a cause and we're unique in that way. And um, I think that's exciting because not only are we selling clothes and seeing more Aboriginal design in the world, we're changing the way people think about issues um, and it's just a massive education platform that I never realised um, it could be really. I, the, I mean, yeah, the work of art and culture, you know, mm. it's been our strength for thousands of generations and to use that to connect with people and people look for that to connect mm. and uh, and. You know, uh, and and you know, be a part of a a, a, pro, a process, uh, not a process, uh, an identity. You know, uh, that raises identity um, is quite significant. And I think what you're doing is quite, um, you know, it's, it's yeah, thousands of generations old, uh, but in a in the the contemporary world that we live in, Laura, it's quite. Um, you know, I think that's the that's the thing that a lot of you know. Uh, a lot of our mob, you know, uh, we will have elders who go, oh, I don't know whether we can go that way or whether we, we can or can't, you know. And um, 
but you know, to, for you know, the new generation of uh, Aboriginal businesses, I, I just reckon it's unreal what they're doing, and um, yeah, all the best with that for the future. Yeah, so, um, yeah, there's a great story in it. Mm. Um, yeah, so just moving on to, um, you know, we've had a great weekend last weekend. Uh, the uh, a lot of people were out and about around Black, Black, Black Lives Matter. Um, I was at home. I had to do some work with my mum on my mum's bedroom, so I couldn't get out. We had a lot of family around, which was uh, really important. But um, just seeing uh, a lot of the lot of people out there, a lot of the mob uh, leading. Uh, the protest uh, raising the issue around um, Black Lives Matter. Um, you know, I've uh, I've been uh, I'm a former chairperson of the Aboriginal Legal Service in Victoria. Um, uh, I was a part of the uh, the, the uh, Aboriginal Justice Agreement, which was a partnership between the Aboriginal community and the state government, and uh, which is really trying to address the overrepresentation of Aboriginal people in jail. Um, that agreement has gone from Agreement 1, Aboriginal Agreement 1, to Aboriginal Agreement 4 that we're sitting in today. Um, still significantly have significant overrepresentation in the criminal justice system. Been a part of the Aboriginal Children Forum, um, which was another partnership between the, the state government and um, Aboriginal community groups uh, around Aboriginal kids in, uh, in care. And... Um, We've seen that still substantially grow in numbers, the number of kids in out-of-home care. I think nearly 20% of our kids are connected to the out-of-home care system. So it's uh, quite significant, a lot of work to do. Um, but I think there's a lot of good foundations out there to uh, around partnerships and a way forward. But once again, self-determination is putting the Aboriginal person, people uh, in in a decision-making process, in a uh, capacity-building process to, um, yeah, to ensure we change those horrible statistics out there. Mm, I think you're so right, Uncle Mukai. Like, um, just thinking about the march, I didn't go either and I felt a whole lot of guilt around that. Um, but I was just really, actually just really exhausted from the week and you think about the toll that it takes on you when you, like, you're on your phone and that's all you see and, um, certainly in our work when we're educating people all the time and um, including the gap, like we had so many non-Indigenous people just reaching out, wanting to know more, having to educate and then having to get their like March outfit sorted. By the time the March come around, I thought, I, I just can't deal with it. Um, and then I put my hand up to be um, a babysitter and babysat um, my gorgeous nieces and nephews so, you know, um, the rest of my family could go um and be part of that experience. And certainly, like, I felt the load um, during the whole week and the march. Um, we um, we have, I guess, we've been marching for things for a really long time, and I think whatever that is. And if you don't mind, Uncle Mukai, if I just share a little bit of a poem that my sister wrote about what we march for. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so it's just a couple of lines. It's not the complete poem, but I guess it just helps us put into perspective that Aboriginal people from birth have been standing and fighting for things um, and Black Lives Matter and deaths in custody and police brutality is one of those issues, but there's so many of them, unfortunately. So um, my sister's Joanne DeWye, by the way. So we march in honour of our ancestors whose blood has fertilised this land their stories of struggle and sacrifice we carry protectively within our hands. 
We march for those too old to walk, but who have given their lives to community. We carry their spirit and acknowledge their strength. They are the reason we understand unity. We march for the silent achievers who have never received awards. We may not know them by name, but our feet honour them in applause. We march for those who died in custody, the lack of justice and the pain. We won't forget your family's suffering. We will always remember your names. And it's not, it's lovely. (laughs) And she goes on, and this is a thing. There's about another 10 lines that talk about why we march and then we wonder why as Aboriginal people we're so exhausted um, because the cultural loads and um, the burdens and the injustice and the inequity in this country, um, you know, we're still living with it every day. Mm. I think, uh, you know, the conversation just before it and uh, thanks, Joe, for that uh, great uh, poem there, um, really describes uh, what has impacts. You know, uh, just your conversation just before it, um, there, Laura, you know, that you had to look after family for others mm. to do stuff. And, mm. you know, um, many of the aunties, you know, the, you know, your mum and um, my mum and others before them um, really done a lot of protect, you know, kept family groups together. Um, a lot of families uh, did get taken. A lot of young people did get taken. But the work that uh, many of these elders and their elders before them had done to make it uh to keep people safe and uh, connected to culture is quite significant and you're seeing the great work that the next generations are bringing online is is quite amazing. So, um, you know, I just want to acknowledge that. Uh, I know that uh, many of these, mainly women, Aboriginal women and a lot of Aboriginal men elders don't have that uh, resource of, uh, what do we call it, so, uh, superannuation, you know, to, to fit into retirement or to, to lead a, um, you know, to, to just do what you want to do when you get superannuation and have some type of uh, income after you retire. Well, um, I just know many of, them, many, of the, many of the elders over 70 would not be, uh, would not have that access and, um would be still very vulnerable but um, very strong in their culture and their identity and uh, still caring for a lot of family in uh, in that scenario. So, no, big, big, big shout-out to the works of the elders uh, from the past, how mm. they kept our, our communities together, how they kept, um, I mean, we had nine in our family, but we also, mum also looked, made sure other family members, other first cousins and that had a bed to stay in when, when coming to town. So... Sometimes we'd have 14 in the house, you know, the old uh, mm. three-bedroom. So it was uh, – and we're not, the, you know, one out. There's all the families across uh, Victoria were, were very much the same. And um, so that wealth issue is still a big concern about our mob living in the, in the current environment and uh, change has got to come and, um, and acknowledgements and uh, reimbursements need to happen uh, uh, I sit on the First Peoples Assembly. Got elected in the in the First Peoples Assembly elections uh, last um, last year, about um, October, I think it was. And we had our first assembly meeting in uh, December. And in the, we sat in Parliament. Um, I didn't mind it, but others had a, had a uh, you know were couldn't sit because of the the environment where legislation was made against Aboriginal people. But we did have uh, an elder sit there, Auntie Eunice Wright, who's well known uh, and got acknowledged that Aunt has passed away re- recently. But Aunt was a, uh, I'm, I'm talking about her because of the advocacy she done around stolen generations was quite significant. And um, 
the minister, uh, sorry, the uh, the premier Dan Andrews was in the uh, presented to the uh, to the assembly, and Art was there, and the you know the conversation about redress for our for our uh, stolen generation uh, community members was uh, put on the table, and um, I think in about February we've seen an announcement around a redress program from the state for uh, Aboriginal stolen generations. So mm. uh, Art was very much at the front of that with all other stolen generation uh, members. Um, and, you know, for generations to come, there's still a lot of work to uh, to support them. But just want to acknowledge Honey uh, Eunice right there with that conversation. Yeah. yeah. Um, Uncle Mukai, can you just explain to everyone who might not know what the stolen generation is? Oh, for sure. Um yeah, uh, Aboriginal kids, um, you know, were were picked up by police. Um, you know, our welfare uh, um, issues was obviously the concern and the lack of understanding on how Aboriginal people uh, lived was a significant um, issue uh, because it wasn't like everybody, you know, the mainstream Australia uh, lived uh, and they decided that... Um, yeah, it was inappropriate housing. Not so much about the families, but you know, the housing and, uh, and and things like that impacted on you know, or made people con- uh, consider that these kids need to be removed from their their homes. And I'm a part of a project. Uh, uh, Laura recalled the Warren Duggan Criminal Records Discrimination Project, and it looks at uh, a part of it where we had 13 um, case studies in there, and, and a couple of case studies where. One, or one in particular, Uncle Larry Walsh, uh, was a his study, and it identified that he had a conviction at the age of two. Wow. So when he got taken from uh, his parents or uh, up in Marupna there, uh, it was recorded as a conviction. And Uncle Larry's stories out there on uh, in Koori Mail and uh, major newspapers about a couple of years ago when this uh, when we first put out the submission, and it mentioned he mentions that yeah. As a seven-year-old in foster care, the, a policeman said, oh, you're a naughty boy. He goes, no, I'm not. I haven't been in trouble. He said, and by then I hadn't. I did get into trouble when I was 13 and stuff. And uh, um, But it was, I've always wondered what was the, uh, why would they talk to me like that? And it was because they understood of him having a, a conviction. So it was, uh, yeah, it's something that impacted on a lot of mainly Aboriginal people. I don't know about uh, non-Aboriginal people, but Aboriginal people, kids were uh, had a recording of a a, spank, uh, a conviction as a, a young person. Our submission is around getting a spent conviction legislation in Victoria. Victoria is the only state in Australia that does not have a uh, spent conviction. Uh, the Attorney General for Victoria uh, has uh, done a media release in February uh, stating that Victoria, uh, the Victorian government is considering spent conviction legislation in this term. So uh, hopefully uh, it gets a, gets a Guernsey uh, through Parliament. But once again, mm-hmm. Aboriginal people are not in Parliament, Laura, as we know. Um, we're not part of the lawmaking uh, processes of this state today. Um, you know, that's something I lobby for for uh, as a member of the uh, Treaty Assembly. Uh, I really think um, uh, a lot of the issues uh, that arise to us is because we don't have anybody on the... Um, on the on, in the parliament, uh, mm. we did have with um, uh, Lydia uh, Lydia mm. Thorpe, and uh, well done to Lydia and uh, and uh, and the party that got her into parliament. And I see that she's running for the Senate in the mm. federal government. So uh, all the best. But I still believe there should be an Aboriginal direct 
uh, seat that uh, we can uh, put um, members into Parliament. Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 What about you, a stolen generations, Laura? You, you would have, you know, uh, your your services, uh, commute, you know, building capacity of young people. We we know that. Uh, I think there's been a report from the um, Aboriginal Commissioner for Children and Young People a few years ago noting that uh, only 10% of their legislative requirements were being implemented while in care. Uh, a significant part was cultural plans for the, for the child and uh, only about 10% of those plans were being uh, completed. Um, I think there's a lot of work going in that today, but, yeah, we need um, entrepreneurs to help deliver those programs. Well, it's so important. I mean, we're involved in the... Um uh, facilitating and organising the Junior Fitzroy Stars Football Club. Um, and we have like quite a number, like a high number of kids that are in care that play for that team. And it's not their local football club by any means, but they travel there just to wear the red, black and yellow jerseys to run on um, to the Fitzroy or the Sir Douglas Nichols Oval that's got history for them and their families. Um, and sometimes those cultural plans can be as simple as how, what are the ways that we can get kids to connect back to community and what does, I mean, I think about this, what does contemporary Aboriginal culture and community look like these days? And some of that looks like, I think, playing alongside, you know, your cousins and your family in an, an Aboriginal, mostly Aboriginal football team. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, that's, I guess, thinking about what culture looks like these days in this contemporary sense is something I think about um, in in an enterprise. And I, I certainly think, like, sport plays a significant part in um, our cultural engagement. I mean, I don't know about you, Uncle Mukai, but I kind of think about, like, the um, statewide sporting ca- carnivals as being, like, a corroboree. <laughs> oh, for sure. They are quite <laughs> significant, haven't they? You know, like, yeah, oh. It was unreal watching, watch, yeah, got to watch him as a young fellow and then got to participate was absolutely great. Um, in the, I, I got to play in one when I was 48, Laura, and I got to play with two sons, you know, and, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a great environment. And to see how many teams come out of that participate today, I mean, you'd remember from the 70s and the 80s that there was only two or three teams playing. And I think at a carnival today between netball and football, there'd be something like, 60 odd teams that uh, rock up and you're finding that many are family family connected teams and it's uh it's you're right on it's a corroboree and it's uh it's something <laughs> was, that's going to be continued <laughs> i was forever. like god forbid my kids will know how to throw and catch because if you don't how will you participate <laughs> in community <laughs> i was like so worried i'm thinking oh god god bless um and even myself i wasn't that i wasn't that athletic but i just stuck at it because um, you know, that I, I definitely wanted to be part of the carnivals. And even when you see today at the carnivals how, like, you know, I'm talking about fashion again, but the way the uniforms of the teams are evolved to represent their their totems back home and how that's a way that they get to celebrate um, artwork, symbols and culture through their uniforms. So cool to yeah, see. see it evolve into the AFL and all the national yeah. sporting clubs and, you know, the, the cricket, the Australian cricket team, you know, it's, I think a lot of that came from the, the, the sporting carnivals from across Australia, you know, rugby, uh, rugby league and AFL and that, yeah, it's um, yeah, quite yeah, pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I'm finding that. And, like, there's something really powerful about seeing um, 
you know, Aboriginal clothes and design in the world and just that increased visibility and um, when Aboriginal people see design, they're not invisible in spaces anymore. Um, yeah, it's cool. Mm. I suppose around, you know, enterprise, Laura, and what are, you know, some of the challenges that are, you know, are probably coming on to, um, yeah, Aboriginal entrepreneurs in, um, you know, uh, in especially around, you know, the, the flag situation and, and things like that. Uh, what, what, are, what are some of the barriers out there? Um, I think like the, the, I guess the first challenge for Aboriginal people going into business, often um, it's a new space. But like for me, I didn't, I didn't, I don't know anyone that owns a business. So you just don't have that kind of lived experience of just stuff you take for granted that you just learn along the way. Like all of us know how co-ops work, but not co-ops works or Aboriginal medical services. We've grown up in those spaces, but we don't know many people. I don't know anyone that had a business. So everything was new. Um, startups cost money. So, you know, there was a period of time, like at least six months where, you know, I just was like, I had enough money to support myself um, in the business because certainly there was a period of time that I wasn't getting paid and I still don't get paid what I was getting before, but like the rewards are so much more than the pay and I know that will come. Um, so I guess the financial stability is a challenge to start with, knowing people in the industry. Um, but then I think um, the opportunities certainly um, are phenomenal. With the Black Lives Matter in the business, we found that people have just wanted to support Aboriginal business and even the other people who have started Aboriginal, who started businesses, they've texted me like, sis, I'm going to need to employ someone. I've sold 250 prints in the last day. I'm like, far out. Thanks, Australia. Thanks, non-Indigenous people. You've just given so many businesses I know the kicks that they need to stay in this space and to employ other Aboriginal people and to create wealth um, independent of any government fundings or handouts, um, which is incredible, um, the opportunity for, for wealth creation. And for us, I guess, to set our own agenda, um, we're leading at Closing the Gap, the Free the Flag campaign. And I'm grateful that I'm in business every day because I can use my voice in the business without having to check in with anyone that I can. I don't need permission. I don't have to go to a board, a CEO to say, yep, Laura, you can talk on this. I'm like, my business, I'm founder and I'm pissed off about this Aboriginal flag copyright and I'm going to scream it from the rooftops to anyone who will listen to me and I'm going to start a campaign and guess what? No one can stop me because I'm independent of any government funding. I'm not linked to any of it. And I look at all the other organisations and there's so many that haven't spoken up about it and it includes like the big AFL, the big sporting clubs and even some organisations because they're worried about what will happen um, to their bottom line, to uh, any additional money they might get if they speak out on issues because it might impact on them financially. But certainly um, I found the opposite to be true um, in Closing the Gap is that people really appreciate the people who stand up for what they believe in and um, the community's really backed us with the Free the Flag campaign. We've got over 75,000 people sign our petition, hundreds writing to their local MPs, um, you know, and lots of people, most importantly, having these conversations in their own communities about what can we do to help the cause. Um, yeah, so it's cool. 
Oh, you're right on, Laura. Like the flag's been a part of our lives, uh, you know, yeah, since the seventies, you know, and it's uh, but the movement, you know, the people who've uh, lived and died for that flag uh, mm-hmm. is quite significant, and you know, uh, it, it represents Aboriginal Australia. I think the the governments, you know, uh, across both federal and state, really aware of that. Uh, really good to hear you talk about the. The, the big sporting bodies like the AFL and that, uh, you know, they acknowledge it, but there's something that need, we need people to protect it and uh, to ensure that it belongs to the people of, of Australia, uh, the Aboriginal flag, because uh, not just Aboriginal people appreciate the flag. I think a lot of non-Aboriginal people in this country appreciate the flag. So I think um, hearing your call is that, you know, it needs to be sorted and owned by the people. And uh, I'm 110% behind you, mate, because... Uh, uh, great work in doing the leadership around it and um, it's quite interesting to hear, you know, um, that, you know, as an independent business that you're, you know, you're, you're fighting hard for it. Um, a lot of energy, that's that exhausting stuff you've, you've spoken about, you know, because, mm-hmm. you know, it's something that, that belongs to everybody and uh, we, we, we really need to get behind it and uh, ensure, I mean, 75,000 signatures is, is a great effort. Um mm-hmm. But you know, I think the the flag belongs to everybody, and the both, you know, mainly the Australian government needs to make sure that that comes into play because uh, it's a strong identity. You, you spoke about the kids wanting to play for to go to the junior footy to uh, for the Fitzroy Stars down there in Melbourne and uh, be identified. And when you when we go to the carnival, it's it, they're quite significant, and they're. The little drawings they do at kinder and, and things like that, uh, you know, the kinder directors actually say, you know, they're connecting you to those colours, you know, um, because, you know, yeah, it just builds that character and uh, and being proud of who you are. So it's uh, really, really important. Great work. Hmm. Um, yeah, so what else is on the table? Or, um, yeah. What else? I'm just thinking, yeah. what is, who am I going to? fight next <laughs> which cause am I going to get behind I mean I really I mean I know that sounds like a joke but certainly that's how I feel like we're um you know we sort of exposed Buddy Franklin just recently for his alignment to Wham Clothing who hold the exclusive worldwide copyright on the Aboriginal flag and we spoke openly and public about publicly and respectfully about that again surprised about how many people who won't speak up about that um, won't speak up against people like Buddy Franklin with the high profiles and lots of followers. And I just think, like, in society, if we're not prepared to call out people with positional power, then we've got a problem. And, um, you know, even some young girls in the office today said, look, I don't know what that's going to mean for my career if I speak out. I'm like, oh, my God, what is wrong with this world? We need people to talk up for stuff. We need people to speak up for justice. And certainly we've seen that play out Um in the Black Lives Matters marches, there are more of it. Um, yeah, so what next for us? I don't know. Look, I won't stop till the flag's free or, well, at least until the flag's birthday, which it turns 50 in July next year. And I really mm. think that I have to draw a line in the sand at that time. Um, whether or not we give up on trying to free it or we just decide we're going to adopt a new symbol as a, as a, as a national flag, um, I think it will be clearer then about um, about what we do. Yeah, oh, well done, well done on that uh, conversation, Laura. I think it's it's great. Um, I, I'm I'm working on a, a you know rethink uh, criminal records project uh, with the RMIT, the Centre for Innovative Justice. There, um, we're looking about how to 
how people can, or mainly Aboriginal people uh, with previous convictions can um, can gain employment. You know, using uh, you know uh, strong um, you know uh, addressing the the process about registering. You know, for working with children. Um, a lot of people, when they get asked a question, once again, that exhausting thing, they're going, oh, something happened to me 10 years ago and I can't get a working with children. I'm going to mm. put this in the bin and ignore it and um, and not not move ahead with my life. Um, so we're, we're, we're continuing on with that. Hopefully we get the uh, uh, legislation around spent conviction, um, you know, at this year sometime is, is going to be quite significant. But... Um, just in finishing, Laura, um, I think it's just been great to talk to you. I mean, we, we've known each other. It's great to have a chat. Um, really appreciate um, Stephen Donnelly and uh, the Social Democratic uh, Podcast for providing us the opportunity. Mm. Stephen mentioned that he was asking about how he can, you know, what type of program he can do around um, Aboriginal people. And uh, uh, I think his partner said to him, well, just get, couple of queries on on the uh, system and let them run your, uh, be a part of your show and uh, let them see how they go so it's a real bit of an experiment and i'd um, just like to thank Stephen and, the, and and his podcast social democratic for uh, allowing us to happen have this so laura yeah cool i'm just thinking before we um wrap up uncle mccoy just for the people listening um what are some things you think that they can do to show their support and be a deadly ally for for us Aboriginal mob. I I think um, you know understanding what are the the, the social uh, things that impact on us. Um, we've known that uh, Aboriginal uh, overrepresentation in the criminal justice system has been around forever. Um, there's obviously uh, a need for a change in the way that happens, and um, how do we uh, build capacity of family groups? I think there's an interconnection with uh, 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 the criminal justice. Or sorry, out of home care. And moving into the criminal justice system, I think it's quite significant. Um, the, you know, some of the little things that happen there, Laura, like if you're in care and you may damage something, and you might get a you might get a conviction from that. And yet, if it's your own child, you may break the door or the plaster. You're going to get told mm. by your mum and dad. Whereas if you're in a care in a, a residential facility, you're going to get charged with an offence as being a young person was obviously dealing with mental health, trauma, cultural identity and things like that and, um, and you, yeah, you get, a, you get a tag against your name. So uh, there are some of the things that um, we've got to look at uh, in the future and we need people to support, get on board and compensate about that, how to uh, get capacity into young people. You know, 20% of our young kids, uh, north to 18, are connected to the out-of-home care system. So uh, that's that's quite significant. We need we need support to uh, change that. But it's, that support is how do we empower and ensure self determination is uh, is at the front of it. So yeah, get on uh, hear about that. Um, Echoes, you know, Aboriginal community controlled health organisations. Um, you know, the budgeting world of heritage landscape. You know, come down and visit it. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> yeah, there's great stories right. there. <laughs> It's like the Koori Heritage Trust in Melbourne and other and Aboriginal businesses. I think um, you know there, there's some good head agencies across Victoria that lead that up with us. So yeah, um, continue to uh, support us. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that I think you're so right. I think um, people finding um, we spoke about this earlier about like educating yourself. There's so many um, great resources and books out there. So you know. 
I don't know about you, Uncle Mukai, but you don't look like a black Google search engine to me. Um, <laughs> so people can just like sort of drain our lives, just Google a little bit. And then if they can't find the question, the answer, then by all means ask an Aboriginal person. I think doing that research first is important. And um, something you've mentioned, Uncle Mukai, that I really thought about since the last time we yarned was about using Aboriginal language and words in conversations. I think that's cool and I think that's something people can do respectfully. Um, and uh, I guess the other thing is immersing yourself um, in events, culture like and business, so going to NAIDOC, um, different activities that you can um, go into Aboriginal theatre, eating Aboriginal foods, all those things are cool, uh, great ways to get involved in community. And um, most recently um, with the Black Lives Matter and I've found an increase in people trying to help out and the most useful people who I've found who reached out and said, oh, I want to help. And what they actually offer is a skill that they're good at. So a Facebook person rang me and said, I can help you with Facebook advertising. That's cool. She's not trying to do something else that's not relevant to her profession. I've got a pro bono lawyer that's helping me with the Free the Flag copyright case. So what are you... You don't need to, all you need to do is offer your skill set in what you're good at to Aboriginal people and allow them to access it. And the other thing I think is to um, always make sure that you're standing alongside Aboriginal people and not in front yeah. um, when we're sort of having any any conversation. Yeah. Uh, right on, Laura. And, you know, having that understanding, Australia has a black history, you know. And yes. The, you know, the Gunditch Mara story, like many others across Australia, is is significant. Um, you know, in the 1840s, we had the uh, 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 Tower, uh, he's known as Jupiter, you know, in a, in a term that they used. Um, he, you know, he was a part of the, a 17-year-old resistance, a war within Australia. You know, it was the Gunditch Mara versus the squatters, settlers around the area. And, um, you know, that story... Uh, We've got to, you know, the, you've got to bring out the history of Australia, not just from 200 years ago, uh, yeah, the 200 years, but also the uh, the, the connection to country that um, Aboriginal people have had. And you're starting to hear some unreal stories, of, you know, exciting um, discoveries even today around Aboriginal culture, like over in Warrnambool, Milljoy site. It's they're talking about a 120,000 year old site in Australia, you know, and um, down at the head of the Hopkins River there, you know, it's. Uh, it's, it's quite significant. They've definitely hit it at 80,000 years, you know, so um, it's all happening uh, around there. So, yeah, we've got to acknowledge what's going on in Australia and where it's been, yeah, for sure. I guess there's maybe, you know, the last action piece. Look, I would love listeners to check out the Clothing the Gap um, website and our Free the Flag campaign and uh, there's six ways that you can show your support there and one of them is to sign a position, write to your MP, have these conversations, buy some merch, donate some money if you can. Um, we've got we've just started actually a free the flag fighting campaign. We've been leading this campaign for over a year now, unfunded, and these additional resources I guess will allow us to keep campaigning. Um, what about for you, Uncle Mukai? If you could finish and you could tell the listeners one thing that you'd want them to check out, what would it be? <laughs> Oh, the check out. Oh, I mean, I've, I've just been young. You know, the the budget been World Heritage Landscapes quite significant. I think that's it. That's so cool. Yeah, it's uh, it it is. It's a great story, and um, you know, uh, and and what's come of it. Uh, the late condemnation story is another one, like many others around the uh, don't just 
you know, reach out to regional Victoria and see what's out there because uh, it, it belongs to everybody. Um, you know, we had the, the, the conversation, the Lake Condon Mission starting up in the 1860s to protect the Aboriginal people. And then we had uh, World War One and World War Two, where a lot of soldiers from the Lake Condon Mission fought for Australia. And when they come home to seek soldier settlement, they were denied because they were Aboriginal people. And, mm. um, and you know, there was the opportunity to create uh, opportunity for our people who 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 stood up and served for Australia. Um, yeah, it's yeah. There's there's great stories and uh, dive in and yeah, get yourself wet in there and um, yeah, create some knowledge and awareness. Yeah, it's really important. Well, Laura, we can't talk all night. Uh, uh, I know. So, uh, <laughs> I reckon I'm going to sign off now. I'll give a bit of a praise there before to the uh, producer or the the, the 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 owner of the the site. And um, so, bye from me. And um, thanks. Hope to bye. talk again soon, Laura. Yeah. Thanks, Uncle Kai. Thank you. All the best. Bye. You too.